Podcast One production. The Health Hacker with Adam McDougall. We are loving the questions we're getting from you so we can answer really what's burning on your mind. Healthhackwiththemanshape.com.au. Let us know what you want us to talk about and hack into on the podcast, of course, on Adam's Manshape socials at the website, themanshape.com.au. Adam, boy, do we get this question a lot. We are going to hack into how do we beat the sugar cravings. It comes up again and again, and I'm pumped to hack into it because we're going to help not only the thousands of people who are part of our tribe, but we're going to help me as well, Adam. So let's get into it first. Why is sugar so addictive? Well, don't feel bad if you're addicted to sugar because that's how we evolved to where we are to today. Um, sugar is deep, deep in our ancestral DNA. It's something we crave to survive. That's why we are where we are today. You know, if you believe in evolution, you look at millions and millions of years ago, apes basically survived on sugar-rich fruit. Yeah. Um, so it was really helpful for us at the start. Yeah, well, the more ripe the, the fruit was, the higher the sugar content, the more energy it supplied to allow us to do what we need to do on a daily basis. Remember, we weren't surrounded by 7-Elevens and McDonald's and drive throughs um, Food was something that uh, was in short supply. It took a lot of energy to go out and find food. So the driver of um, foods which were highly desirable were those that were high in calories because, you know, calories in versus calories out didn't mean a smaller waistline back in the day. The most important thing was surviving, having enough energy to actually you know, protect your tribe and, and look after yourself and, and feed yourself. So, you know, foods that were highly dense in calories were, were really desired by the body and the human brain and were really smart to go and source these things. And we found quickly that sugar was one of these great uh, rocket fuels that um, really powered us through our day and helped us thrive. Okay. So sugar helped us evolve to who we are. Now, is that why in modern society, it is so addictive because our body doesn't know any difference and it wants to keep helping us survive? Yeah, I would argue that um, you know our brains have been wired to essentially um, react to, to ingesting something which we know has allowed us to thrive. So when you when you eat sugar, um, the brain will stimulate uh, the feel-good uh, chemical dopamine, which we've spoken about in previous podcasts. Um, and this euphoric response that you actually feel makes sense from an evolutionary perspective when you look at it. Since, you know, our ancestors, Dave from another mother, our cousin Dave the caveman, really needed that sugar because um, he had a better chance of surviving. So um, when our brains seek things, um, we know that it releases dopamine and, um, you know, it was seeking something which was really beneficial, which was energy. So, you know, sugar is very addictive. I, I remember writing my first book and I come across a study that showed that um, they did this amazing study in America where they um, put rats in a, in a cage and before they put them in the cage and laid out sugar, um, at one end of the cage, and then they laid out cocaine at the other end of the cage. Um, they <laughs> somehow got the uh, the rats addicted to both, cocaine and sugar, simultaneously. And then when they let the rats out, they were nine times more likely to go to the sugar over the cocaine. Wow. Which is mind-blowing. <laughs> it's in- insane. And, you know, it comes back to the addictive nature pathways. Um as a result of the, the release of dopamine and, and serotonin, um, which is known as the sugar rush. Um, wow. And that's why you always feel happier after you have um, sugar. You know? <laughs> that's why <laughs> that's I'm why in such a good so mood good. at the start of this episode. I'm going to be cooked by the end of it. And you know, like with your little one too, it was amazing when um, my youngest daughter um, 
they were concerned about her health and had to give her some needles in hospital and um, do some scans and stuff like that. So to settle her down and to make her not feel the pain, they actually took a, um, a finger um, wrapped in uh, glucose, the doctor, and put it in her mouth to calm her down and to excite the brain to be distracted so she wasn't scared and couldn't feel the pain of the oh needle and Lord. obviously the, the investigation. So it just shows, you know, how how much of a powerful drug sugar is. And, you know, when they also um, look for certain types of cancers and do certain types of scans, they actually inject um, some of the patients with glucose and uh, the cancer cells will actually feed on the glucose and therefore lights up in the scan to find the, uh, the cancer much easier. So, you know, cancer's preferred fuel is sugar. Um, so, yeah, it's a, it's a very, very powerful thing, sugar. If sugar was so good for us at evolving... Now, why is it so bad for us if we have too much of it? What is it doing to my body if I have too much sugar? The worst thing is, is that we live in a society now where there's so much nutritional density in all our foods. Our foods are now what they call hyperpalatable, which means they're overly tasty um, and they're hijacking our brains. So that, that's the problem is the fact that food now is is abundant on every single street corner that we uh Occupy. So if you have a look at the ancestors, the cavemen in particular, and before industrialization of, of crops become um, the norm, um, we just didn't have food in, in abundance. You know, calories are hard to find. So you had to be very smart how much energy you burnt trying to find calories to keep you alive. So if you uh, didn't catch that animal and you were chasing it for a long time, um, <laughs> you're burned off a much greater amount of calories than you actually were able to consume. So the, 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 the fact is, is that now that um, food's very accessible and the fact is we're not moving as much, Alex. Um, and the fact is that it is so addictive in its um, psychological um, nature. Um, it, it's very easy to start over-consuming um, calories and, and, and uh, sugar. And uh, as a result, then missing out on a lot of foods too that um, are high in a lot of things that uh, our body requires. And of course, if I'm not burning those calories, it's just going to sit in my body as fat, especially if it's spiking my blood sugar levels and that's messing with my insulin. So it's kind of like, a, you said this phrase before in other episodes, it's a one-two punch. It sounds like it's a one-two punch and a roundhouse and an uppercut and a tackle. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's all the above because we know that, you know, um, people that live to, you know, um, a great health uh, span age, um, not just for a long time, but people have great health, uh, robust health into their later years. Um, you know, particularly when you look at some of these blue zones, which, um, you know, are, are really um, good examples of probably lifestyle choices a lot of people should follow, um, you, you'll find that their glucose variability is very low. So by, by that, we mean the fact that they don't have a lot of fluctuations uh, in their day of blood sugar levels going up and down rapidly because of their diets. They seem to eat foods that are low glycemic foods, uh, foods that are high in fiber, high in protein, and don't give you these big sugar spikes. Um, so they're not eating a lot of high sugar foods. Um, and then the other thing that you look at is inflammation as well, which is, you know, arguably the, the biggest driver of most disease in, in, in uh, mankind. Uh, this is once again, you know, fed by um, high amounts of glucose variability and um, high amounts of sugar in our diets. And we also know the benefits of the immune system. 70% of the immune system is produced in our gut bacteria and our guts. Um, and, you know, the, the bacteria that are bad bacteria, because, you know, you've got a colony of bacteria in your stomach. It's not just all good guys in there. There's bad guys. Um, they really crave sugar and that, that's how they grow. That's what they feed off. So the squeaky uh, um, wheel always gets the oil first. And I always say with your diet, um, why do you tend to crave certain foods? It's because the bacteria in your gut are being fed these foods. They're the ones then that thrive. So if you're having a diet that isn't good for you, particularly one that's high in sugar, all of a sudden these bad bacteria are going to override your um, digestional tract and, and your gut bacteria are going to be thrown out of balance and then your health's going to suffer as well. 
So on this episode, we're diving into how to stop those sugar cravings. So I'm guessing then step one might be looking at your gut health. Yeah, 100%, Alex. You know, that's a great hack in itself. You know, if you can take a probiotic, um, research has shown that um, they'll certainly boost the good bacteria in your gut and hopefully um, quieten down them bad buggers, which um, really yell out for sugar. Um, And, you know, you'll be able to reduce these suckers from, you know, bringing on them cravings um, at three o'clock in the afternoon. Um, Other interesting um, things that can contribute to that as well are are glutamine. Um, It's it's an amino acid um, that helps basically balance blood sugar levels in your body. Um, And this will also naturally reduce your sugar cravings as well. So, um, you know, this amino acid, you know, is is such a a good thing. Um, It's found in powder form. Um, You can put it in your protein shakes and um, it doesn't really have any sort of taste as well. So I'm a big proponent of glutamine as well um, to help with gut health and also, um, you know, really curb them sugar cravings as well. And also, as a side bonus, it helps with muscle growth because bodybuilders used to take all glutamine, right? They did. And, and you know, muscle is medicine. I, I use that um, term a lot, but it's a reality is because muscles, you think about it, they're a bit like a sponge for sugar as well. So the more muscle you have on your body, the more ability your body has of, of absorbing, um, you know, sugar and, and calories in general. So you're going to be much more metabolically healthy if you've got muscle on your body. So uh, there's a one-two punch for that as well. Glutamine will help boost your muscle, which will help you uh, petition calories much more effectively and help you utilize sugar much more effectively because the bigger the muscle, uh, the bigger the demand metabolically. Um, so if you do, um, you know, go off the beaten path every now and again with a bit of ice cream or chocolate, um, you body will utilize um, the sugar much more effectively the more muscle you have on your body. Early listeners to this podcast will know the reason I'm on this podcast is because I went through my own weight loss journey as well some years ago. And I remember, Adam, one of the things I did in that weight loss journey was really look at my gut health and what I was eating. And that helped me reduce a lot of sugar. And when I did have sugar again into my diet, because again, you always say this, you can't be 100%, you know, on like an extreme diet all the time. You've got to have a bit of balance in your life so you can have a bicky every now and then. I noticed just how sweet it was. And I think that's what's interesting with sugar. It creeps up on you. Your threshold gets bigger and bigger and bigger. If you have a little chalky here, then it kind of happens again a bit more. You're having a bit more, having a bit more. Next thing you know, you're having a lot of sugar without realizing because it doesn't have the same effect on your brain. So I feel like psychologically, does it also kind of trick me as well? Mate, great, great insights into, into, you know, the effects of your taste buds. And it's true. You can retrain your taste buds. Um, you know, you do become more sugar sensitive. Um, but then you also start to appreciate other flavors as well, like sour flavors, for example, once you reduce your sugar intake. Um, and you know, it's, 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 you know, so good to crave these, you know, sour types of foods as well, because going back to probiotics, um, a lot of these sour types of foods, like your sauerkrauts and your pickles, your fermented foods, um, are great for your digestive health. So it sort of starts to, you can see how all this stuff starts to compound each other. Um, and it's sort of like adding dollars to the bank and all of a sudden the interest grows overnight and you go to the, the bank at the end of the year and you've got all this money in your account you didn't realize. And that that's what happens when you start to reduce your sugar. All of a sudden your taste buds do change. And that's probably one of the biggest challenges for us when, you know, we design the Manshake product, a weight loss product in, in a space where a lot of people's taste buds have become desensitized. They've proven that, you know, people that are overweight generally have desensitized sugar taste buds. Um, so they don't taste sweetness as much um, as people that aren't overweight 
overweight. So it's, it's really hard as a food manufacturer in a space where people are generally uh, being customized to that are overweight, trying to, to, to cater for their palate. Um, and, you know, another way that you, you can go for um, variety in, in sort of, you know, sour and sweetness is also go savory. Um, this will also help with sugar addiction, Alex. Um, you know, you might want to... Um, throw something that's salty or even spicy, you know, is a good way to keep the waistline down um, and avoid the sugar. You know, obviously um, some of these things are going to have a thermogenic effect, which means, you know, they'll increase your core body temperature like chili and whatnot. Um, but um, the, these things are, are also really smart to um, add to your foods because they're going to boost your metabolism, but they're also going to take the edge off wanting that um, that sweetness. So it can really, um, you know, really kill that um, sweet tooth um, in its tracks. The Health Hacker with Adam McDougall. So Adam, get on top of your gut health, um, spicy foods, loving that one. What are some other craving stoppers that help us get sugar out of our diet? Well, I think some simple hacks are, um, you know, a lot of people eat out of boredom. Um, it's not just the physiological effects that food have on your body, um, but it's also the psychological effects that most of us will eat when they're bored. Um, and usually these tempting uh, little treats are the ones that... Uh, you know, uh, full of sugar because the brain's smart. It wants a bit of action. You know, it wants to release that dopamine, which we spoke about before. It wants excitement. It wants to be stimulated, the brain, when it's bored. So it will seek out um, high sugar foods naturally. So, um, you know, try to keep yourself busy um, is, is a good hack when you all of a sudden you start to think that you're craving sugar. Go play a game. Research has shown that a game like Tetris, for example, reduces sugar cravings. So, you know, keeping yourself busy, particularly your hands um, and, and using your, your brain will reduce sugar cravings in itself. Um, dehydration is a big one I see all the time. A lot of people mistake hunger for actually being dehydrated. Um, the brain registers the fact that it's lacking something and all of a sudden, you know, it, it, it reaches for sugar because it's a quick fix. Um, there's, there's a lot of deficiencies too, which will, will inadvertently, um, appear as, as, um, a sugar craving, um, trigger. Um, particularly when you're low in certain vitamins and minerals, the ones that jump out are really zinc and magnesium, um, you know, we know how beneficial, you know, magnesium is it's responsible for over 300 um, enzymatic functions in the, the human body. Most people are deficient in magnesium as they are in zinc. Um, chromium is another great one, which will help regulate blood sugar levels as well. So, you know, you don't want these huge swings in, in blood sugar, which we alluded to earlier. Um, so you're trying to really keep your blood sugar levels as stable as you can. So avoiding foods that are going to cause blood sugar fluctuations is a, is a huge go-to as far as avoiding sugar um, cravings. Um, and there's other foods and macronutrients, which we can add to our diet, which will really help with um, stopping these huge swings in, in blood sugar levels. Namely, fiber, Alex, is probably a good go-to as well. Um, a lot of people aren't getting enough uh, fiber uh, in, their, in their diet. Um, we should aim for roughly about 50 grams of fiber every single day. Our ancestors, um, our hunter-gatherer um, ancestors were, were consuming, it, it's, it's estimated between 100 to 150 grams of fiber a day. Most people now consume less than 20 grams of fiber, it's estimated in their diet on a, on a daily basis. So they're getting anywhere from six to eight times less fiber than what our ancestors did. Um, and you know, dietary fiber will keep you full, um, it keeps your blood sugar levels steady. Um, and it really dials down the cravings. Um, so yeah, look for foods that are high in fiber and we know what they are. They're usually good foods and that's why uh, these things compound. Um, another thing that you could probably look to do is, um, Probably add cinnamon to your coffee, if, you know, in your afternoon, that three o'clock sugar slump that a lot of people get, this little hack that I do. Um, I put a pinch of cinnamon um, into my coffee. This reduces my blood sugar levels. Um, and I've tested this with my continuous glucose monitor, a device that um, I have worn from time to time, which registers every single 
um, spike in blood sugar I have after ingesting food or any sort of activity that I undertake. And um, I found that cinnamon worked really, really effectively um, in balancing out my blood sugar levels, as did apple cider vinegar. Um, that was another great hack as well. A lot of people don't like the taste of it, um, but I found that apple cider vinegar was also very effective at um, quashing that sugar response as well. Oh, Adam, apple cider vinegar, I love that. I have it in the morning with water and it really sets me up for a good day, especially for my gut health. And I notice that I don't have sugar cravings for longer periods of time because it kind of stems that down. What about food though? What are some foods that I can have that would help me reduce my sugar cravings? You know, we talk about macronutrients a lot and, you know, that's essentially for people that don't know is the three major macronutrients are protein, fat, and carbohydrates. And we know with our SAD diets, uh, the standard Australian diet, that most people are consuming way too many carbohydrates. Um, you know, these foods are cheap. They're highly accessible. Uh, they make food manufacturers a lot of money. They're, they're great for shelf life. So adding carbohydrates into uh, food products is a very lucrative and simple thing to do to increase taste and, and uh, make these foods more hyperpalatable for us. Um, so we're not getting um, any. Sorry, so we're not presented with many challenges in getting enough carbohydrates in our diet. Carbohydrates are the only macronutrient that, that isn't essential to the human body. Um, we can make energy from fat and protein. Um, protein and fat are essential to our diet. So if you're going to really try and take the edge off that sugar craving, you can look towards foods that are higher in fat and higher in protein. Um, particularly protein, as far as I'm concerned, it's, it's the champion macronutrient of mm. all of the uh, macronutrients. Um, and there's an interesting, um, concept, which is, is really come to popularity of recent, which is called protein leveraging hypothesis. Um, all right, here we essentially, go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's basically saying that, um, you know, the cause of obesity, um, is a result of us not getting enough protein in our diets. Um, it essentially says that, um, you know, the body will sense the amount of protein at any one meal. Um, and it does this through the release of hormones um, in our guts, um, particularly the hormones PYY and GLP-1, Alex. I know I'm getting a bit scientific here, but bear with me for a minute. Um, and from the, um, the L cells in the small intestines that these come from, uh, these hormones will then travel directly to the brain um, via the vagal nerve um, to reach the hypothalamus part of the brain. And it instructs the brain to stop eating. So this is the handbrake on your appetite. So they argue that as the percentage of calories from protein in a meal um, drops, so you're eating, say, for example, some fast food that's much higher in carbohydrates compared to protein. Uh, as the percentage of calories from protein in a meal drops, Alex, you're less likely to have um, much less of the PYY and GLP-1 um, hormones uh, being released to put the handbrake and signal to the hypothalamus to stop you from eating. So as a result, you're just going to keep eating and eating and eating until your body gets the appropriate amount of protein to release these gut hormones um, to produce satiety. So, you know, the end result is excessive calories and an excessively large waistline. So that, that's why it's important, they're saying, that um, we really look to get enough protein into our diets. You know, when you consider that on average, um, you know, the westernized diet has, has seen our calories since about 1970 increase by about 350 calories a day. So, um, and most of these calories, which I, I spoke about, have come from carbohydrates with little change in, in our protein intake. So that basically means that protein has not kept pace with the increase in our consumption of fat and carbohydrates in our food supply. And we know that it only takes a couple of hundred calories a day to um, account for the huge rise that we've had in obesity. So the protein leveraging hypothesis can really easily explain, they argue, um, the increase in obesity and the rise in our body fat levels because our bodies aren't getting enough of 
this important macronutrient, protein. This is fascinating and it makes so <laughs> much sense. I know you thought you were sounding too really scientific, but I like the science because now it explains to me why you can't eat like a whole steak without going, whoa, I'm, I'm filling up here. But boy, I can plow through a pack of chippies. Like I, know I can go for another one. Protein is handbrake food. It slows you down. It fills you up. And I notice it. You've told me this time and time again, but look, you know, I don't always listen, is that if I have a protein <laughs> shake in the morning or I have a high protein breakfast, you know, some eggs, milk, yogurt, things like that, plus with a bit of carbohydrate, I'm fuller for longer. But if I'm just having like a piece of toast, then I'm noticed by sort of 10 o'clock I'm eating again, 11.30, I'm having 11sies, and then I'm having lunch again, and, and I'm, I'm bouncing along with that kind of little meals along the way, and now I realize it's because no one put the handbrake on because I didn't have enough of those proteins telling my brain that you're full, because it's not, and it's looking for those, and that is fascinating. Well, your body craves food from a nutritional point of view. That's what hunger is. You know, it, it's driven by this necessity to get the nutrients it needs for the body to thrive. Um, so, you know, that that's why when your body's not getting enough of the essential macronutrients that it needs, namely protein and fat to a lesser extent, you know, carbohydrates aren't a an essential macronutrient. Our bodies can convert energy from protein and fat. So therefore, eating these foods that are high in carbohydrates aren't going to switch that nutritional um, driver off in your brain that seduces um, appetite. So it, it's pretty simple, isn't it? Like, you know, I don't know about you, but, you know, if I put you on a diet that says you can only eat, you know, protein, for example, I'll tell you what, you're going to get bored pretty quickly. So all of a sudden, you know, they say that the best diet's one that doesn't have too much variety in it mm. because, you know, obviously we eat, you know, as a result of boredom a lot of the time and for novelty reasons, but you try and overeat protein, you know, it becomes pretty damn hard to do that. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a really interesting theory, this one. And it's something that, um, you know, I've seen a lot of proof that people that go on these higher protein diets certainly, um, end up consuming a lot less calories on a daily basis. And that hack that we spoke about there, Alex, does work. You know, if you have a shake, a protein shake, um, you know, before you, you have dinner, um, particularly if you allow, you know, an hour or so before dinner to, um, you know, consume this protein shake, your, your body's going to send a signal to the brain that it's full because it's got the protein in it. So it's going to stop you from overeating. We know that, you know, from your first bite of food to, to your brain registering that it's actually full, it takes about 20 minutes. So, you know, most of us, you know, divulge, you know, a thousand calories in about 20 seconds when we eat fast food. So, you know, the signal doesn't get an opportunity to go from your gut to your brain to tell you that you've had enough food. So it's a really interesting theory. And, and once again, it just shows you the power of protein if it's used correctly. And that's such a good point you make around the way you eat protein is very different to the way you eat light carbohydrates. And I remember a very early episode that you talked about the order in which we should eat. You know, we're having protein first, then your greens, and then finish on the, the kind of lighter carbohydrates. Because you're right, you can plow them a lot quicker. So it, those, eating in that order allows your brain to process that information and tell it that it's full before you overeat. Because like you've always said, portion is where the biggest problem is. This is amazing. It's great. And I called it the food train. And like I said, you know, the front carriage should be protein. The next carriage should be um, your fiber and fat. And then the last carriage, you know, if you can fit any more in at the end, should be your carbohydrates. So, um, you know, get on the food train if you want to reduce your waistline. And, you know, the, the fact is if you start with foods that, you know, really cause these fluctuations in blood sugar, well, that, that increases um, your, your appetite levels and the signals in your brain and the hormones start to play chaos um, internally. And all of a sudden, you know, you're craving more and more food. And before you know it, um, you know, you've done a lot of damage um, before 
before that brain gets the uh, the message that it is actually full. So it's really important, like you said, the order of um, uh, food sequencing that you um, undertake if you're trying to you know have good health. Adam, I know you though. I reckon you've got a couple of little short, sharp hacks that are pretty good to have in the back pocket as well. It's not just make sure you have a steak or a protein shake, surely. No, well, I mean, um, you know, a lot of people complain about having bad breath after they uh, eat a high protein diet. So one uh, one uh, good little hack to actually take the sugar craving off as well is brushing your teeth. Um, that's um, been proven uh, time and time again to uh, yeah, reduce that sugar craving. Um, speaking of, you know, good breath, um, chewing gum has been something also that's been found to be very, very effective. Is it the spearmint um, that your brain. Is that why? Yeah, well, look, a lot of people argue that uh, peppermint and spearmint are really, really good for um, reducing cravings, um, but it's just the, the simple um, practice of chewing. It sends a signal to the brain that it actually thinks you are eating food and it's expecting to receive calories, um, and therefore it just gives you that psychological feeling that um, you are undertaking an activity that is beneficial for you, so that takes the, the edge off that um, appetite. Um, the other big one is is um, sleep and stress. I can't highlight this enough. Essentially, the brain's reward centers make it so much harder for us not to crave sugar um, when we're stressed and when we're when we're sleep deprived because our bodies go into um, this fight or flight mode or this. Uh, thing that we call a sympathetic uh, driven nervous system, which means this heightened state. And, um, you know, when you're in a heightened state, you think your body's under threat. Like uh, our ancestors, once again, are responsible for everything that um, controls us these days. But, you know, when we were stressed or or when we were tired back in the day, it was uh, uh, really um, as a result of us being chased by something that wanted to eat us or the fact that, you know, we were really struggling to find food. Um, you know, that's where stress would manifest itself or we're under some sort of threat. So your body had to quickly get energy to really fight through that 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 stressor and that threat to it. And the best way to do that uh, was through um, high density calories. And that usually came from sugar. So you really must start, you know, I always say the pillar of your, your, your health is, is really sleep and finding systems to um, and strategies to mitigate stress, you know, whether it's breathing, whether it's having a good laugh, watching a comedy, getting out and into the nature or just dancing or singing or spending time with your kids or buying a dog and patting an animal. Um, you know, you really need to control your stress and your sleep levels to really um, take the edge off sugar cravings. But if you are going to reach for, for something sweet, it would have to be dark chocolate. It, it's just such a, a superfood, and I hate using that word. But um, when you have a look around the stats of the benefits that dark chocolate contains, specifically, we always want one that's over 70% in cacao. Um, that's really important because a lot of these um, dark chocolates are um, wolves dressed in lamb's clothing. They'll say that they're dark chocolate. When you flip it over, once again, the pack of the pack, look for that at least 70%. Otherwise, it's going to be too high in sugar. But the reason I love you know dark chocolate is just, for example, a stat that I come across, Alex, which blew my mind away at the time, was in a study of 470 elderly men, cacao was found to reduce the risk of death from heart disease by a massive 50% Whoa. over a 15-year period. 50% reduction in dying from heart disease. It's it's insane. So another study showed that eating dark chocolate two or more times a week lowered the risk of having, you know, plaque build up in the arteries by as much as 32%. What? 32%. And if you ate dark chocolate more than five times per week, you lowered your risk of heart disease by over 57%. Oh, Adam, <laughs> this is great. Unbelievable. So, unbelievable. I'm loving everything you've told me on this episode so far, but I also love the fact that you realize we are human. Sometimes you just want a snack. I don't want to have to have protein. I don't want to worry about my gut health. I just want a snack because I've had a busy day. So dark chocolate is the one to go for. And I'm guessing 
We should probably do an episode on dark chocolate one day because this is very cool. I'm loving it, Adam. I love dark chocolate. Adam, thank you so much. Remember, if you want to send through your questions to Adam so he can hack into them for you, healthhackerthemanshake.com.au or on the Manshake website or and his Manshake socials. And Adam sends out Lady Shake and Manshake prize packs to people who get in touch. Adam, thank you so much. I'm just going to go um, get some dark chocolate, so I'll catch you later. <laughs> I'll see you later, my friend. Health Hacker was created in collaboration with Podcast One Australia. Written and presented by Adam McDougall. Produced and presented by Alex Mitchell. Audio production by Darcy Thompson. To listen to more episodes, search Health Hacker Podcast. Listen for free at podcastoneaustralia.com.au or download the Podcast One Australia app.